Good morning. My name is Steve Wallen. I'm the campus pastor here at Genesis Church. Are you guys excited for baptism this morning? I know I am. We have 11 people across both of our campuses that have made that decision that they want to follow Jesus this morning, and they're going to do a, have a public proclamation uh, through baptism, and so we're really excited about that. We're continuing today in this series called Through the Lens, and what we're talking about is the seven miracles of Jesus as recorded in the book of John. So if you have your Bibles, uh, open them to Matthew. <clears throat> Nobody caught that. We're... we're talking about the seven miracles in the book of John. So open to Matthew chapter 14. Um, if you uh, don't have a Bible with you or a device that you read your Bible on, there should be one of these laying on the floor around you. Pick that up. It's on page 685 of that. This is not cheating. This miracle that we're going to talk about today is recorded in the book of John, uh, but it's kind of a footnote in the book of John. It's kind of in between a couple of things, and there's not a lot of detail recorded about it. It's also in the books of Mark, Matthew and Mark, and Matthew records a lot of details. Uh, it's kind of a, uh, a footnote in John, but it's the highlight reel in Matthew, and so there's a lot of detail that we want to talk about, so we're going to use that one instead. We've been talking in this series about how Jesus did these miracles, but we're not supposed to focus on the miracle, that the miracle, as Cameron said, is just a lens through which we can see God. We believe that God performed miracles through Jesus uh, we believe that God still performs miracles today, um, but that Jesus performed them on earth so we could get a better understanding of what God is like. But then I've had a few people ask me, well, why did he choose miracles then? Aren't there other ways that Jesus could have pointed to the heart of his father? And I, I just, this is where Jesus is just so brilliant uh, to me. I love the intentionality that he has in this. Jesus understood the tension, okay, the, the delicate interaction between people's very real physical needs and their very real spiritual needs, that, that we all have both of those, all right? We have physical needs, we have spiritual needs, and as Christians, we sometimes get this wrong. I mean, even in the church, we sometimes get this wrong. And I'm not talking about your last church got this wrong because they were all about social justice or your last church got this wrong because they never did anything to help widows and orphans. I'm talking about like even our church, we get it wrong sometimes. We get off balance, okay? There's a very delicate balance between meeting people's physical needs and their spiritual needs. And Jesus was great at this. I hear people say that the church should be all about feeding the hungry and all about housing the homeless. Well, the church can't be all about that because... People need Jesus. And Jesus knew that if you meet somebody's physical needs without meeting their spiritual needs, well, you're, you're basically, you're feeding a dead man walking, right? And so that there's gotta be a spiritual component to that too. And so he was brilliant at getting this right. And we wanna emulate him. We wanna be like that, which is why we do things like on behalf of the hungry that Robin talked about. It's why we collected over 220 bags of food to send down to Shepherd Community Center uh, for the kids in IPS over spring break. It's why next week we'll be doing a food pack and we're gonna pack 70,000 meals as a church to help meet people's physical needs. And it's our hope through that, that we can help them find their way back to God, that we can meet their very real spiritual needs as well as uh, we show them through our compassion, through our love, the heart of their heavenly father. And that's why Jesus performed miracles. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. And so every week in this series, we're getting the chance to, to zoom in, right? And get a better glimpse of what God is really like. And, and that we ask ourselves, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for my life? And so with that backdrop, let's dive into our scripture today. Matthew 14, we're gonna start at verse 22. It says, immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Now, immediately means right after the last thing, all right? And so the last thing was the thing we talked about last week, which was the feeding of 5,000 men and their families on a hill near Bethsaida. We talked about this. Uh, the other side, 
refers to the other side of the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberias. Uh, We've been having a map up here so you could kind of see where we're talking about, but we're really kind of tight on stage with the baptistry up here. And uh, you guys can, if you can picture a lake, uh, Jesus is on one side and they're going to the other side. So I figure I probably didn't need to show you that. All right. Uh, They're going to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, The Sea of Galilee is 680 feet, by the way, below sea level. All right, and so it's kind of down in a pit. It's surrounded by uh, hills on most, uh, almost every side, and so it was well known as a place where the weather could change rapidly. Like it'd be beautiful one moment, and then the next moment, a wind could whip up and a storm could roll in, and uh, totally unexpected. Isn't that a great metaphor for life? By the way, like everything is great, and then all of a sudden your phone rings, right? Or you get a text, or you get an email. The doctor asks you to come in and talk, or the boss calls an unexpected meeting, and all of a sudden, everything changes. Life can be like that, can't it? It can be completely unpredictable. Well, that's what the Sea of Galilee was like. Verse 23, after he dismissed them, he, Jesus, went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. If you study the life of Jesus, what you'll see is he is so dependent on his father that so many times when Jesus is in a restless place or it's in a busy season, he makes time to go pray. He makes time to go spend time with his father. And that's what he's doing here. Remember, he's just gotten done feeding these 5,000 men and their families. He goes up on a hill to go pray. Uh, If the son of God needs to pray, how much more do we, right? Later that night, he was there alone, verse 24, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, Buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. You know, so a windstorm pops up. Jesus is up on the hill. He's watching the disciples. What we're going to see in a minute is the disciples are straining against the wind. They're, they're fighting against the wind. Uh, let me ask you something. How many of you like storms? Any storm chasers in the crowd? Like uh, the weather warning comes on and you get in the minivan and you run out to the middle of the cornfield and maybe you've got some instruments or maybe you've just got some binoculars and a camera and you're hoping like to get caught up in the, see that funnel cloud and see those storms and you're, you're looking for, um, I don't know what they call it, the, the, uh, where the, the front comes in and you've got the different colors the sky and you're like, oh, that just gets you so excited. Storm chasers in the room, any of you? How many of you instead are basement runners? Any basement runners in the room? (laughs) Like Angela Buckman says, there's a storm coming and you wish that, that's me. I'm a basement runner. I'm not ashamed to admit it. I grab my kids, maybe grab a snack or two, you know, head down to the basement, turn on the TV. Uh, Any excuse to get out of like the rigors of life and get down in the basement where you can just have a snack and watch TV, right? And so I'm a basement runner. I'm not ashamed to admit it. Storms on land are one thing, right? But storms in a boat are another thing altogether. And this one is a doozy, all right? I mean, think about that. They get in the boat immediately after feeding these families. So it's probably dark or getting dark, but Late at night, we see that they were still inside of Jesus up on this hill. So they haven't made very much progress. Now, remember, most of them are fishermen, which means they kind of know their way around a boat, right? They know how to row. They know how to paddle. But late into the night, they're still straining at the oars. Um, This wasn't like the windstorms they had battled before. They were in a desperate position. They were helpless out on the sea. I think there's an important lesson for us here, and it's this you're going to go through storms. Like, like the, the fishermen, they walked very closely with Jesus. They were around him all the time, and yet they went through a storm. Following Jesus doesn't exempt you from storms. The disciples went through storms. You're going to go through storms. Maybe you're here today, and you feel like you're in a storm, like you're in the middle of something. And for you, maybe it's a job situation, and the last one has ended, but 
the next one doesn't seem anywhere inside. Or maybe you've got some options, but you just can't decide, you know, what am I going to do next? Maybe you're waiting for some answers about your health or the health of a child or a loved one. You know, you're waiting for test results. You're waiting to find a doctor who can help. You're, you feel like you're being buffeted by the waves. Some of you are going through storms in your marriage right now. There's, there's a wind and you're straining against the oars in your marriage and you feel like uh, you and your spouse aren't even rowing the same direction. Uh, you're trying to decide. You're single. You're trying to decide, is he the one? Is she the one? Uh, is there one? Is there anyone? Anyone at all? And you feel like you're in a storm. Maybe there's some family stuff going on with your kids or your parents or your grandparents or you, know, you and your spouse have been trying to have a child and you can't and you feel like you're being buffeted by the waves. Or Maybe it's a friendship at school or at work, it's falling apart. You're in a storm. You're not making any progress. What storms are you facing today? Along those same lines, maybe you're asking, why, why do I have to go through storm? Why do I need to be in this right now? What, what's God trying to teach me through this? I mean, I think, I think the disciples went through that. I think it's fair to say we see them in this and other situations. We see them questioning, asking those questions. These guys are close to Jesus. They're walking with him all the time. They knew him personally. Why would he let them go through a storm like that? Well, I I think we all wonder, Christians especially, why why do we have to go through tough times? Why does God allow us to do this? Where do storms come from? Well, quickly, I think there are are three reasons. I put these in your notes if you want to follow along. Uh, Number one, sometimes storms come from bad decisions. We make bad decisions. We are human beings who make mistakes. And we have to live with the consequences of bad decisions, right? And so sometimes the storm comes as a result of our own stupid stuff. We, We do stupid things. We live with the consequences. Uh, number two, sometimes storms come from our enemy. You know, the Bible says that he tempts us, that Satan is real. He's just as real as Jesus. And that he has a plan for our life, just like God has a plan for your life. But his plan is to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what scripture tells us about the enemy. Maybe he's responsible for the storms in your life. And in the third place, other times we face storms just because we live in a broken world. I mean, our world is filled with sin. It's far from God's original design. But don't be discouraged because Revelation 21 reminds us that a day is coming where there will be no more pain, no more tears, no more suffering, that God is going to make all things new. Anybody like new things? Do you like new things? If you like new things, you're going to love heaven. If you like new cars, you're going to love heaven. If you like new furniture, you're going to love heaven because God is constantly making all things new. That's why Jesus was able to say, in this world, in this world, you will have trouble But he said, what did he say? He said, take heart, for I have overcome the world, right? There is a day coming where God is going to put all things back together again. He's going to redeem this world for our benefit and for his benefit, and I cannot wait for that day. Verse 25, shortly before dawn, uh, your version may say the fourth watch of the night, uh, which is about 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. If you think about how the Jews kept time, uh, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. was day, and 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. was night, and the night was broken into four watches, three hours each watch, so 6 to 9 would have been the first watch, et cetera, et cetera, and the fourth watch, 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. It's late at night, almost early in the morning, right? Uh, this is how long they've been rowing. Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. All right, I don't think you, uh, sometimes we take uh, this for granted because we know this story, but right? But you're in a boat and here comes Jesus and he is walking on top of the lake. We already thought of every joke that we could make to figure out how to use the baptistry to illustrate this for you. We're not gonna do that today. We're not gonna take the easy way out, okay? But he's walking on the lake and they were terrified, 
duh, right? It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Two things, I think, for you, if you're going through storms right now, two promises that we can take from this little tiny piece of scripture right now uh, that we see in this miracle of Jesus today. Number one is this. You are in the storm. If you're in a storm today, you are in the storm with his presence. You're in the storm with his presence. You are not alone. When you are in Christ, you will never be alone. God's presence will always be with you. I realize you may be in a situation right now that you don't want to be in. It's a situation not of your choosing. It's not of your doing. I want to tell you today that you're not alone. You know, you may be in a storm right now, but you're in the storm with his presence. Jesus was up on the hill watching his disciples. He was watching this whole thing unfold, and he was determined that at just the right time, he was going to walk out and help them. He was going to get closer. I remember when I was uh, probably 11 or 12 years old, my uh, grandmother lived in West Virginia, in the hills of southern West Virginia, still does. And uh, her house was in a town, but it was kind of surrounded by these, we called them mountains. They were probably really big hills. Uh, But she had this one hill, particularly that was across the street from her, that nobody lived on, at least not that we knew of. And uh, every time we went down there, we went probably twice a year, and every time we'd go, we'd say, someday I'm going to climb up that mountain. Someday I'm going to climb up that mountain. And one day, my little sister and I uh, were bored at Grandma's house, and we got the courage. We said, Dad, can we go climb the mountain? My dad said, sure, go ahead, but be careful, all right? We don't know who's up there. And so um, we walked up this uh, side of this mountain. It probably took us a half an hour to get up to the top of this thing, so it probably wasn't very tall. 11 or 12 years old, my sister's probably uh, seven or or eight or nine, and uh, we get up to the top of this mountain, and we're looking around, and it was so cool. We could see all the way around, 360 degrees. We could look all the way around and see all the little towns around in the hills of West Virginia, and finally we kind of said, okay, it's time to go back to grandma's house. And so we take about three steps down the hill and we hear this, get off my mountain. I turn to my sister and like, did you, did you hear that? Yeah, I heard something. All right, well, let's, so we start walking a little faster, right? We're walking down the hill and kind of pounding. We get about uh, 30 or 40 steps down and we hear, get off my mountain. Like it's closer this time. Who is that? We're looking around. We don't see anybody. Who lives up here? There's no house up here. There's nothing. So we start uh, running down the hill, and we get, you know, another 50 or 100 feet down. And Get off my mountain. And I turn to my sister, and she goes, I'm scared, Steve. And I said, I'm scared, too. It was my first time, like, I ever broke character with my sister. Like, I'm supposed to be the big brother, you know? And we start running as fast as we can down this hill, like dodging trees and going around everything. And we get down to the clearing at the bottom of the hill of my grandmother's house, and I hear footsteps behind me. And I turn around and I look, and my dad is running down the hill as fast as he can. I've never seen my dad run before, and he is chasing us. My dad climbed the hill to make sure that we'd stay out of trouble. Like, like he wanted us to be able to take that risk, but he also wanted to know that he was going to be right there with us to make sure that we didn't get hurt. He was a good dad. He wanted to watch after us. If you've trusted Christ as your savior, he will always be with you. He won't leave you in the storm. If the storm is now, if the storm is tomorrow, God is with you. Scripture tells us that all throughout the Bible, it tells us that. Psalm 23, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. 
Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, because the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. When will God leave you? When? When, when will he forsake you? Never, right? No matter what you're up against, no matter how desperate it may seem, he will be with you. He will never leave you. He will never turn his back on you. His presence goes with you wherever you go, whatever circumstance you're in. You are in the storm with his presence. Number two is this. You're in the storm for his purpose. You're in the storm for his purpose. We don't know exactly why this happened as it did for the disciples. I mean, remember, Jesus is the one that sent them in the boat, right? He said, get in the boat, go to the other side, I'll catch up. Now, they probably thought he meant that he would walk around to catch up to them, right? That's not what he chose to do. But did he know something they didn't? Did he know that they would face this storm when they went out on the lake? Jesus went up on the mountainside to pray. From what we can tell, this gave him a great view of everything that was happening there. And eventually, he, they found themselves in the middle of the sea, straining against their oars in the middle of the storm. Again, maybe he was up there praying for them. We don't know exactly why Jesus sent it off that way, but here's one thing we do know. We know that their faith will never be the same, right? Maybe he was asking the Father to increase their faith and their trust in him. This is what I believe. I believe that God was using this storm to increase the disciples' faith and to increase their dependence on him. And, and here's the detail that John doesn't give us, but Matthew does, okay? Matthew 14, verse 28. Jesus is walking across the water, and Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. What do you think about Peter's request here? Are, are you encouraged by his faith? Are you a little bit put off by his audacity that he had the boldness to ask that? I mean, he could have asked for anything here. And I think Jesus, to prove it was him, would have done it. I mean, he could have said, Lord, if it's you, turn this sea to chocolate. <laughs> think about that. That's maybe what I would ask for. Lord, if it's you, turn Andrew into a walrus. You know, what could he have asked for? He could have asked for anything. And what did he do? He didn't do that. He said, no, no, I see Jesus out there. I see what he's doing. I want to be like him. I want to do what he's doing. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you. And that's what he did. I want to come to you on the water. Now, maybe Peter didn't know that people just don't walk on water. <laughs> maybe he was too stupid to figure that out, right? But what Peter lacked in common sense, he made up for in, in what? In guts? In faith. He made up for in faith. What is faith? Well, Hebrews 11 tells us, it says, faith is confidence in what we hope for, and assurance about what we do not see. see. See, here's the deal. Here's what that verse tells us. Faith and hope are not the same thing, right? Faith is confidence in what we hope for. We may hope for something, we may want something, but faith is confidence that that's going to happen. Faith is assurance about what we do not see. Faith is not a lack of doubt. Faith is confidence in God in the face of doubt. Faith is knowing that when you're in a storm, there's someone on your side who is bigger than the storm, right? Let's put it this way. Faith is this. Faith is putting God between yourself and the storm. That, that you know that there is a storm on the other side, but you know what? God is here. He is here with me. I'm here for his, in his presence. I'm here for his purpose. I am going to put God between myself and the storm. That is what faith is. Faith is trusting. Faith is knowing with confidence that God can overcome. It's saying, God, I'm in a storm right now with a great faith. I know that you have the power to overcome it. I can't, but you can. Why were the disciples in the storm? I don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us. But we know that their faith will never be the same, right? 
Why are you in the storm? I don't know. Not sure how you got there, but I do know this. God can use the storm in your life right now to increase your faith in him, to to make you totally dependent on him. Jesus was totally dependent on his father for everything. He wants us to be totally dependent on his father as well. Our faith, he wants our faith to be in him for everything that we need. So, verse 28, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Peter walked on the water. He got down out of the boat and walked on the water. He started making his way toward Jesus, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And so many times we look at this verse and we think, oh, poor Peter. He just didn't get it. I mean, the guy, he took his eyes off Jesus. He looked at the waves and he fell. He failed. Epic fail, right? That's Peter. Epic fail. We ought to just nickname him that. That should be our nickname for Peter. Epic fail. But was it really a failure? Peter was the only one that made the attempt. He was the only one that had the boldness to even ask, right? And because of that, he got the opportunity to experience God like he never experienced him before. I wonder if for many of us here, it's time to take a radical step, a step of faith towards Jesus. Like maybe part of what God wants to do in your life today, even with your being here this morning, maybe what God wants to do is through this story to increase your faith and your dependence on him. Maybe he wants you to, you know, take a step and start praying. You know, Teddy talked about that in the video. I love that, that he started to pray and not just praying to pray, but praying to pray to God, like to talk to God and know that he hears. Maybe that's what God wants to do. He wants to take a step. He wants want you to take a step of faith and start praying and talking to him. Maybe he wants you to take a step of faith and start giving. Many of you have done that over the past five weeks. Maybe he wants you to ask for the power to overcome your disbelief. God, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Maybe he wants you to take that step of faith and break off an unhealthy or an inappropriate relationship. Maybe he wants you to take a step of faith and give your marriage another shot, to, to extend forgiveness to someone else, to hand all your worries to him, to be baptized, even today. Maybe he wants you to ha- take a step of faith and confront that friend who's struggling with sin, to talk to someone about your relationship with Jesus and how important that is in your life because maybe they need to hear it too, to, to give him the anxiety and the fears that you're facing or to take that bold step, give you the faith to come out of the boat and come to him. Maybe you say, I've tried that. Or maybe you think, oh, that sounds good, Steve, but... What if I fail? That's a great question. Because you might, you could fall. You, you could fall down in the water. And here's what I know for sure. If you stay in the boat, you'll never walk on the water. You'll never experience God's best if you don't take that risk. How many of you have seen the movie, uh, We Bought a Zoo with Matt Damon? Anybody seen that? In that movie, Matt Damon's character, Benjamin Mee, says this. I love this. He says, you know, sometimes all you need is 20 seconds of insane courage. Just literally 20 seconds of embarrassing bravery, and I promise you, something great will come of it. You know, Peter had great faith for a few seconds, right? And then reality hit him. He realized he was walking on the water. I can just hear one of the disciples yelling at him, dude, you are walking on the water. And he like looks down and he's just like Wile E. Coyote, he just sinks right into the water, right? 
He took his eyes off Jesus and he started to sink, but did he fail? Is that failure or is never getting out of the boat the real failure? I mean, is the failure of the rest of the guys who didn't have the faith to do what Peter was doing? Because here's, here's what happens. If you decide to take a risk and get out of the boat, you're going to have 11 guys in the boat yelling at you and telling you how stupid you are and how crazy that seems. And how, get back in the boat. You don't want to be out there during the storm, right? They're going to be yelling at you. But here's what I know. I'd rather be on the stormy sea with Jesus than in a safe boat without him. Look at what happens next, verse 31. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? Peter took a step of faith toward God, and who was there to catch him? In his 20 seconds of insane courage, Jesus was there, and he was more than sufficient to pick him up. It means if if you step out of the boat, if you take a bold step of faith, if Jesus calls you to step toward him, and you're obedient in that, if you do fall, He'll be sufficient to pick you up. He can pick you up even today, no matter the storm, no matter how far you've fallen. Verse 32, and when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. This makes me wonder. We always give Jesus credit for calming the storm, and and maybe he did, probably did. But did Peter's step of obedience, when Peter climbed back in the boat, the wind died down? Did Peter's step of obedience even have something to do with calming the storm? They climbed back into the boat, the wind died down, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. (laughs) When people get out of the boat, amazing things happen, right? What if everyone here were to say, I want to get out of the boat? What if everyone here were to say, Jesus, call me. If it's really you, Lord, call me. Come, have me come to you. I'm yours. Can you imagine the kind of power that would be unleashed by a room this size full of people taking that risk and making that step? When we take amazingly bold steps of faith according to God's call and in the name of Jesus, we can have amazing influence on our friends, our family, our coworkers, our fellow students, our neighbors, the people who are one minute saying, you idiot, get back in the boat will be the same ones who, after watching you walk on water, will say, Sovereign Lord, is there anything too hard for you? Look, the the boldest step that anyone has ever taken was when Jesus stepped out of heaven and came to earth. The Bible tells us that he was with God and he was God, but at the right time, he took on flesh. He came to earth to dwell among us so that he could rescue us from the penalty of our sin, the penalty of death that we deserved. And that's why it honors God to take a bold step toward Jesus. And maybe today, God's calling some of you to take that bold step toward him, to get out of the boat. Maybe God's calling you to take that bold step and be baptized this morning. We've got 11 people across both of our campuses that are taking that step today. We've got two, at least, in this service right here this morning. But maybe you'll hear one of these stories, and in that story, you'll hear Jesus saying to you, come. If that's the case, uh, we'd love to talk to you after the service, as soon as the service is over. But I hope today, after seeing uh, these two and, and hearing stories of others take that bold step toward Jesus, you'll join me in celebrating and worshiping our great God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this uh, story of, of one man's great faith. We thank you, first of all, that you give us miracles and that you uh, point the way to the Father's heart. And we thank you that um, through that, we can see that you are a compassionate, loving father. You're a good dad who never leaves us alone. You don't call us to a step of faith without knowing that you'll be there to pick us up if we fall. We thank you for that confidence and that faith this morning. 
Lord, as uh, these two come forward to be baptized, we just pray that we would give you all the honor and all the praise and all the glory you deserve. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.